You're listening to KVRU LP Seattle, broadcasting on 105.7 FM and streaming live on kvru.org. Hi everyone, I'm Sandra. I'm Nika. And I'm Josh. And we are Nourish, a podcast documenting the histories and stories of Seattle organizers through family recipes and food. And we're thankful to be partnering with KVRU to produce this show. Thanks for being here. Victory is always a collective effort. We each bring our own experiences, our own flavors, our own gifts to spaces that accept us wholly. When we're able to meet people's basic needs and assess the root causes to societal issues, we have the ability to transition from surviving to thriving. I realized that organizing was not just about gathering people who had similar interests and passions. It was about listening to old friends, former teachers, local business owners, and so many more to create the change we need to heal and liberate our communities. Food not only produces the nutrients necessary for human survival, it provides the nourishment necessary to wage and win a revolution. Food is integral to our liberation. So there's a sneak peek at Nourish. Now let's hear from the team that made it happen. Okay, so what is Nourish? How did we come to be? What inspired us to create Nourish? So I think the background of Nourish really starts in this UW class because we were all seniors at UW going into the fall of 2020. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we started Nourish through this class called Creating a Company where we got to be with a bunch of other students and basically pitch an idea and the school would support us financially and making that idea come true. And our idea was Nourish, which is right now a cookbook that features 10 recipes, stories, and photos of different Seattle organizers. And I think, I mean, I think we came to be, I feel like within the context of the class, at least we came to be because the four of us that ended up creating Nourish, were really passionate about doing a project that wasn't just like making a product and selling it but what like had some sort of larger impact um and i think that was the first thing we came together on and i feel like and y'all can speak more to this actually because i feel like a big part of why we came up with nourish as a concept of like documenting stories and doing that through food was not just not just like donating profits or donating some level of like Mm -hmm. money to to like local organizations which is one way you can support movement work and create an impact but I think we really wanted to do something that had had more depth and gravity to it and we felt like I think after the summer of 2020 with all of the Black Lives Matter uprisings and there was like I think a lot of attention to social justice in that moment we knew that so much was happening on the ground during the summer of 2020 in Seattle like we were the front cover of the newspapers we were like the top of the news cycle on the um on TV in Seattle and so I think we wanted to find a way to document that in ways that like weren't happening on the news, in the newspapers, um, in these like mainstream media sources. And we felt like the, the best way that we could do that was just getting stories from organizers themselves and getting stories from the ground. But Sandra, what about you? Um, let's see, I remember when 
deciding to do Nourish, we found that there was a gap in the people who were interested in social justice and how to get involved. Mm -hmm. Like We found that there was a lot of people interested, and even though they might follow some people on Instagram or, you know, try to support in whatever ways that they could by donating to Black Lives Matter movements and things like that, they wanted to know their activists on a more personal level. And so by creating Nourish, we could tell these more personal stories and recipes and really allow people to connect with their local organizers. Mm. Yeah, I really like that. Um, Nico was touching on this, that we wanted to, it's very, really easy to just kind of create a product in the class where we decide to donate 10%, but the product itself and then what we're donating to are completely disconnected. Mm. And we wanted those two things to be connected. And so we decided to create this book where we could help tell the stories of these organizers who are typically doing work on behalf of larger organizations but also have really interesting backstories as well and we thought food would be a great way to connect those which brings us into our next point that we wanted to talk about of why we chose to connect food and community organizing and storytelling yeah yeah I mean I think as Sandra was saying there were so many people who were really activated by witnessing what was going down in the streets, but like not really having a direct connection to the streets and mm-hmm. wanting to make that connection. And I think as we were reflecting on that, like the easiest thing that came up of like, okay, what connects people? Food was just very obvious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that it's so funny because landing on an idea took us a long time. Long time. Like, like we sat there on like, well, at this point it was like Zoom school. So we sat there on Zoom for a long time trying to figure this out. But I think the food part, felt much more natural like I think when we were like okay we want to tell these stories but we want something else we want something special about it I think the food part came in very naturally after that it was actually really fun because as someone who was involved in organizing in some levels at the time a lot of the folks who at least in this in this volume of the book um, our friends are like close friends of mine or people I've, I've got to know through organizing but, like Josh said, a lot of folks are doing this work on behalf of organizations, mass organizations, but we don't know a lot about their own personal histories, and I think that was true for me. I got to know my friends and, and comrades a lot better through the process of, of creating Nourish, just from like sharing stories with each other and sharing recipes and getting to know what their, that ba- their backstories were, what their lives were about. Josh, I'm curious, because I, I remember when the book came out, we actually started hearing up about people actually making the recipes, which was right. surprising. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was this interesting thing of like, we went into this thinking, we're going to share these stories. Um, and what each story has in common is that they connect community organizing with food and stories about sharing food. And it was interesting because it was, we really enjoyed hearing these stories and reading through them. Um, and hearing these connections to food and then having this recipe there. But it was interesting to, to realize that people were read these stories and then were also interested in cooking them as well, which is something that mm-hmm. we didn't really expect because none of us are chefs, <laughs> none of us are recipe testers. And so it was exciting to see that something that we kind of viewed as originally as more of this novelty aspect was very, very real as well. Also, I think that we would be able to share that feeling of like having people read the book and then actually go out and take action of cooking the food as yeah. they do it if we didn't include those recipes. And so I do think that is really fun. Is It's a way that food, including food in this storytelling, was a way to further connect people and bring the book 
um, these stories that existed on the pages into real life where people cooked the recipes that they read about in the stories and then hopefully shared them with other people and talked more about what it means to be a community organizer in mm-hmm. Seattle and mm-hmm. what organizing is even. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it it definitely I think realizing the impact we had was was like a really crazy moment. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I think also Nourish itself obviously had such a significant impact on the four of us yeah. who are involved. And shout out to Alyssa because she's not here because she has her big girl pants on <laughs> at her job in New York. So she's not here with us. But yeah, the, I think the process of creating, like creating this whole book for the community just had a huge impact on all of us. And I was curious for like Sandra and Josh about what your relationship was to, to social justice and social movements prior to making Nourish. And how has that changed since, you know, since we, we created this whole book about it? Yeah, I, I mentioned earlier that, you know, there's people out there that want to get more familiar with organizing but don't know how. And I definitely think that's where I started. You know, it was a curiosity of mine. And I've been to rallies and things like that, but never gotten to know organizers personally. And I've always been curious about that and social justice And yeah, over the course of the book, it's definitely been a journey to, you know, hear all these people's stories and like personally edit them and put them in the book, you know, Mm. with all the stages of proofreading we had. (laughs) Stories are definitely very memorable now. Um, But yeah, I definitely feel closer with like the Seattle community and that means a lot to me. Yeah, I feel similarly that it's always been an interest and something that I spend a lot of time thinking about and talking about with other people. Mm -hmm. And I think that is something that we all had in common when we came together at first is that we all had this baseline interest and excitement towards doing some work and committing our time towards this. And then as we were working on Nourish, it was really interesting to have an entry point into it and Mm. be able to learn so much about it because the whole goal was to learn about it and there were no other distractions. It was really fascinating. I think one of the biggest takeaways that I had was that it's the people who are organizing in Seattle, and I assume across the United States and the world, they're not people who one day just decided to pick up this hobby of mm-hmm. um, speaking at rallies or posting on social media or doing sit-ins. Like These are people who have had multiple touch points throughout their whole lives in community organizing and are very in touch with the community itself. And so when you see these people on social media or in the news or these people leading marches and rallies, these are people who have been doing it for years Mm. and they know everyone in the community and who's doing similar work as them. And it was really cool to see because it's like, it's not just these kind of celebrity activists that are doing work, but Mm -hmm. these are people who actually live in the communities that they are organizing around and everyone supports each other. Like, there's yeah. a story in our book. I don't know if it made it in, but Nika and I were talking to Kalayo, and they were talking about how years back they were organizing with some of the other people in our book around the Shell No campaign mm-hmm. about not letting a, a Shell oil tanker leave the port of Seattle and doing block the bunker work to prevent a new, really militaristic police base from being built in Seattle. And it was really cool to see that although all these people, all these activists were working around, at the time, were working around Black Lives Matter in Seattle and organizing around supporting the community throughout the COVID pandemic, that these are people, these are networks that have been established for years before this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
I think the, the beautiful thing about food, too, was we got to know people on a level that wasn't just, like, asking them about their work, which is, like, right. really important. But I think, like you said, Josh, I think what makes up community organizing in, a, like, a hyper-local context within Seattle, for example, is not movement celebrities. It's not, like, no. who has the mic at a rally. Right. But real people who have lives and relationships and... I think food just provides this avenue for us to really explore the the reality of people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think too, we definitely also all got to understand really like the kind of ecosystem that organizing is. Yeah. That there's like this, there's like this really just vibrant, yeah, ecosystem environment where people are like connected in so many different directions. Mm-hmm. I think with what you're saying about food too is like, even on like the most basic level, everyone eats and everyone's cooked food or had food prepared for them. And it does make it really easy to connect with these people when they're telling stories about food because you're like, <laughs> I also have stories about food. Mm-hmm. I can understand where you're coming from. You are not this kind of random face doing this work out that I saw a video of on Twitter that it's like you are also a real person who has experiences and emotions and families um, yeah, it made, it, it's, mm-hmm. I think it made it a lot more real and uh, for uh, people who read our book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So food is a huge part of community and a huge part of nourish. Um, mm-hmm. What does food mean to you? What does food Ooh. mean to me? <laughs> a quick story about food is that my I live with seven other people in okay. the U District. And for a little bit, for about a month, we were on this really good streak of cooking we'd each take a turn and cook mm-hmm. a sunday night dinner uh, for the house once a week and it was like the most joyful we have ever all been as a group together um and it was just such like a nice relaxing fun um, time that you could never really expect like going to the park and like hanging out at the park in the afternoon is nice but like when you're all sitting down at a table together and sharing a meal and talking there's really nothing quite like it. It really, it, you, I feel, I felt so much compassion for my housemates at that time when mm. we were sharing food, mm-hmm. um, in a way that like nothing else we've done in the year that we've lived together, I felt as connected in as when we shared that meal. Wow. Mm. How about you, Sandra? Well, I hate eating alone, and I always <laughs> have. Yeah. And I didn't ever eat alone. In fact, until college, mm-hmm. I. My parents have cooked food for me since a really young age, you know, they didn't really like eating out. And so I learned to cook also when probably back in like middle school, high school, Mm -hmm. started cooking for my family from a young age. And I loved cooking. I love cooking. I love baking, just like making food of any kind um, and sharing it with people was really, really meaningful to me. So I brought that experience to college. And even, you know, the first couple years in the dorms, I me and my roommates would take our pots and pans to the shared yeah. um, shared kitchen. Oh my kitchen. god, the shared kitchen in the dorms. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> we would cook and eat in there and watch TV and, you know, talk to other people roaming around in the kitchen. And sharing food is just such a meaningful experience and knowing that you can, like, start with just, like, vegetables and, like, f- fresh ingredients yeah. and just like almost nothing that you have and create like something so memorable and create an experience out of it is really, really like impactful. I absolutely love cooking for people. And it's really funny because I think I get very like mom energy going on whenever I'm like in a Mm -hmm. kitchen. Oh my God, yeah. So like one time we all got together and we made pizza. (laughs) So 
for background, for those of you listening, because we started Nourish within Zoom school, it's actually really funny. We started Nourish in Zoom school. We did this whole project, created this whole book about community, about connection, about food being central to that. And throughout the entire time, we had never met in person before. Like we did that entire thing over Zoom. We created and we published an entire book over Zoom. And then the first time we ever got together was when all four of us were vaccinated. We got together at Alyssa's apartment and we made pizza because it's like one of my favorite recipes to make from scratch. I love making pizza dough. And then um, Josh brought a pizza stone and we like all sat together and I taught everyone how to how to cook together. I remember um, y'all were like the three of you were sitting at the table talking and I was in the kitchen like moving the pizza around. (laughs) And I had just this this moment where I was like, I love my life. Like, I love this. (laughs) I love that we're here. I love these people. And just like being really proud of how far we'd come, not just like in the project, but in our relationships to each other. And Mm -hmm. that we not only like did something really amazing together, but that we like care about each other a lot. And I think it's, it's just, I'm really grateful that Nourish was a way for us not only to talk about that, but also to experience that together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think I'm glad you brought up that night that we all made pizza because I feel like that was a, that was a really important night for Nourish as a group because <laughs> we had never all been in the same room at the same time. And mm-hmm. for this project group organization, whatever we want to call ourselves, that's based around community and food, to never have met in person is so funny. And um, yeah, I feel like that, since we made it to that point where we all shared a meal together, and I feel like that kind of solidified it. Of like, okay, <laughs> okay, we made, we can do months of virtual meetings, like, and then we just share this meal together. Now we're good. We, we've built this community. We can we can keep doing this. We've got mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I remember all the jokes we made like a month before meeting about <laughs> how nervous we were after oh my God. everything being virtual for so long, not knowing how to like interact with humans anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah. After a year in quarantine. Yeah. And sharing the pizza made it. Uh, it made it a lot easier too because there was something that we were all doing and something we were also comfortable doing of making food and then cooking mm-hmm. it and eating yeah. it together. Mm-hmm. What story within the Nourish book really like spoke to you or like sticks out to you? Reading all of them at one point or another, I did cry on every single one. Oh. Um, but one that that really got me was Clara's story about their relationship with their grandmother and how they can connect this Irish soda bread recipe to their family history of immigrating from Ireland, their love for their grandma, and the work that they do with ILPS in Seattle. It was so good. It was so beautifully written, and I think is what Nourish is all about, that you can connect your family history, your personal history, and greater community history through food. I think what's amazing about the stories is that they are both a history and they're also representative of a moment in time. Mm -hmm. It is representative of that writer or that person sitting down and telling that story from the perspective of where they are at that Mm -hmm. time. And so for JM's story, Uh you know I was going to talk about this. It's so good. For JM's story, JM talks about hot pot and how it was really hot pot because it's such a like the, the communal act of like sharing a literal 
you know, like pot together and you're, you're literally making the food as you're eating it and you're mm-hmm. doing this like kind of ritualistic practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that they shared about was how they and other friends uh, that they, I think, worked and, and people that they organized with would get together for a hot pot pretty pr- frequently. And then how there were people who couldn't be there. There were people who were particularly in, in detention and like ICE detention who were incarcerated, who were detained who just couldn't be present and they would they would like video call in or call into the meal that they were sh- that the, those folks were sharing with and because even though they couldn't be there i think it was like they were there on a mm-hmm. holiday they were celebrating this thing together but some of them just weren't present they couldn't be there and so they called them in and there were folks like they were passing around this phone kind of showing them the mm-hmm. meal and the people who were locked up wanted to experience that together and then after the book was published a few months later, JM shared that that, that that friend that they had called in who was detained by ICE had actually just gotten out mm. wow. and like finally got to hold her kids for the first time mm. in like three years. And they got to like share food together finally. And I think to know that by documenting these stories, we get to not only have those, but also experience how those stories change and evolve mm. over time. Mm-hmm. So, Nika, a lot of people have been wondering about how we gathered all the content for the book. Do you want to walk us through the process? Yeah, I think the process of particularly gathering stories for like a community-based media project like Nourish was, I'll say a lot of it hinged on my own relationships and trust that I had built with people. Because I think, especially with the way that like the media typically portrays activism and organizing like I could understand valid distrust of that and so I think a lot of the the gathering of stories really it I mean a lot of it was just friends that I had um, and relationships I had built over the years and people who trusted me to do their story justice you know also like they I think a big part of it was that it was them writing the story and I think mm-hmm. that was really crucial is like the people who were doing the work were also getting to tell the story of how it happened and it wasn't someone from the outside doing that But yeah, I mean, I think the process was we, as the Nourish team, we decided, okay, we want to do this book. We want it to be a series of recipes. We want to include stories and photos. And then I essentially gathered up all of the information and the things that we were hoping to get from folks who were contributing to the book. And then I just reached out to them. I emailed them, hey, I would really love for you to be a part of this project. This is what we're doing. This is why we think it's important. This is what we hope for it to do. And then shared, like, okay, so we really want you to be a part of this project. Um, would you be willing to? And here's, here's what it will look like. And, like, mm-hmm. kind of laying out, these are the responsibilities. This is the, the commitment that you'd be making um, to be a part of Nourish. And so that's what it looked like. Um, I think for those who are, like, kind of interested in doing a project like this, to do community-based media and self-publishing means to do the work that publishing companies do, mm-hmm. but with a scrappy team of, you know, four of us. Right. And so it was like me sitting down and figuring out how to get these things, how to support the people who are writing them, how to offer them editing support and proofreading, and also like making sure that everything felt aligned. And then I think a really, I think a part that people often are interested in is how we got the photos, just because they're so sick. And essentially we just partnered with this, this amazing photographer named Tim Kwan. And he and I, it was actually pretty crazy the way that we did it. I honestly, I don't know if I would suggest it to other people, (laughs) but 
we scheduled every single person featured in the book to do a photo shoot for like 30 minutes all within the same day and then we asked them to choose a location that felt meaningful to them that we would meet them there and that's really how we made the ones for nourish was they're all shot on the same day but in different places in seattle and so he and i were on like a eight hour shoot uh we were driving around seattle kind of back and forth all day i mean it was like challenge it was definitely presented a challenge but also like really gratifying to be that hands-on with a project and like be so committed and so present um and i do think that like in terms of community-based media and and like getting something that powerful like it really did help for us to be present through our through every step of the process that it wasn't just like the point was not to extract information or value or knowledge or stories from people but it was like I want to be here with you when we're doing this and we're going to create this thing together and really commit mm -hmm. to that. Um, and I think a lot of it was also meeting people where they are. And so, yeah. um, you know, organizers are notoriously busy people. So busy. I think that was actually presented the hardest challenge in terms yeah. of creating this project was like, how the hell are we going to get 10 like of the busiest people <laughs> in the Seattle area, right? Like, how are we going to get them to commit to um, this kind of project to commit to doing this. The way that we kind of worked with that was trying to meet people where they are. And the way we did that was by offering different options. Some people wrote a thousand words for us and then submitted that and we were able to revise. Some folks wrote like 500 words and that was what they had capacity for and we were able to expand or figure out a narrative to help their story kind of turn into what it was. And then some people did interviews where Josh and I ended up actually writing some of the pieces um, co-writing some of the pieces with folks who didn't have capacity to, you know, sit down and write their, their entire story, but did believe in the project and wanted to be a part of it. And so that was, a, I think, the reason we were able to pull it off was because we needed to meet folks where they were. And I think that's true for organizing, and it remains true for community-based media, mm -hmm. that in order to get the true realities that we're after, we have to really work hard to, to be where people are. Yeah, I think included in that is just having a complete compassion for the people that you work with and understanding their situations that these are, like you said, the 10 busiest people in Seattle <laughs> and that when they're on their own deadlines and we're on our deadlines and just being as supportive and communicative as we can with mm -hmm. them and with any partner, just understanding where they're coming from and how you can best support them so that they get what they want out of the experience as well as we get what we want mm -hmm. out of the experience. I think too though with that and this is also something that builds trust is also being clear about what is needed clear mm -hmm. about what you want clear is kind as Brene Brown says which is you know I I can't hold you to an expectation I don't express to you right and so this is like getting into like a it's turning into like a, a relationship podcast. <laughs> but yeah like we couldn't expect anything of the contributors that we didn't ask of them right and mm -hmm. so it was both like okay I understand that this is what like your capacity is mm -hmm. and also you've committed to this and so i will be clear with you about like okay we need this by this time i think that is actually a level of compassion that we needed to be able to express was like being willing to expect people to follow through yeah. and and holding people to those commitments and i think it worked out really well because we had those relationships built and we had that communication but yeah so i was very involved in gathering the contributors securing folks who were going to be a part of the project that we were going to create and then gathering a lot of the raw content from those people 
But Sandra, I was going to pass it to you because you were a lot more involved in the process of editing and like essentially putting together what then became from that content, what became Nourish as the people see it today. Mm -hmm. First and foremost, I want to thank our designer, Rachel Connolly. Mm. Um, she designed, she ended up designing the whole book, even though um, the original plan was just for her to make a template of a few pages, which we could then replicate. But she ended up doing so much more than that, and this book would not be what it is without her. So my background is in human-centered design and engineering, so I have a lot of familiarity using design tools and the design process. And so um, I started out with fonts, colors, mood boards, and example covers that we then sent to Rachel um, to illustrate sort of the vibe that we wanted for the book. As someone who does not understand the process, hearing feedback from um, Rachel, who did a lot of the design work for the book, that that initial step was very helpful of explaining what we were looking for and what we wanted and why we wanted it for her to then go off of that. Mm -hmm, definitely. And we chose Rachel specifically after looking at her portfolio and previous mm -hmm. works because we liked her style and we wanted that to be mm -hmm. presented and nourished in some form. Me and Rachel collaborated on the design for a lot of parts, um, sending things back and forth until we agreed on how we wanted components to look. Um, and for this, we used Adobe Illustrator mostly and Adobe InDesign, both which are not free platforms. Um, you can get them for half off if you're a student, but there's also, there's plenty of free platforms that are available for designing. One of the ones I like is Figma. Mm -hmm. um, they have a ton of options and you can also work collaboratively on it. If you're looking more for like logo design and drawing, I would suggest Procreate on the iPad. That's also a really good one. I essentially, we like compiled all of the recipes, all of the the stories, all of the photos uh -huh. in the Google Drive, and then sent it, sent you the link, and you were like, <laughs> "Here you go." Yeah, um, yeah. So, like, I mean, from there, where where did you go? Yeah, I guess one of the first things I did was going through all the pictures, downloading them, and then editing all of those to make sure that they, mm. you know, had a similar look to them because we definitely didn't have a professional photo editor. Um, so we just made oh, do with what we had. Photos for the photos. Oh, okay. Here's a sneak peek. Mm -hmm. All of the photos that are of the food in Nourish is taken mm -hmm. by us. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like we took those bad boys. We um, did. And there was definitely not a consistent. <laughs> yeah, as Nika was saying, to meet people where they are, we didn't want to ask them to, you know, make a dish and take pictures of it on top of already providing us with a story and a recipe. So we took that upon ourselves and split up the recipes, cooked them at home for probably the first time for most of us, and then, you know, tried to take food pictures as best we could yeah. as amateur photographers, which we then later edited and put into the book. So, yeah, all, every picture you see in Nourish, if you have it, um, was taken by one of us. Yeah. And then we enjoyed them afterwards. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah, I made hot pot and I invited my roommates and their friends over and we all... How cute. <laughs> yeah, we had a nice night. I could also talk about the website design, which is an important part of creating and selling a book. For ours, we used Webflow, which is an online template for creating a website. But there's other free options as well. Wix is a popular one, and so is WordPress. Um, both are good for um, e-commerce businesses, um, like the one that we had. And yeah, we just you know uploaded all our product pictures, our product, and this really awesome promotional video that Tim made. And yeah. 
So once we had the proof that was like ready to send to the publisher, can you say a little bit, or I guess Josh also, could you say a little bit about the publisher and what that was like? Because I think oftentimes when you get like a, when you get a book deal from a publishing company, then like they kind of take care of everything. Right. They also take all the rights to your your, <laughs> yeah. your stuff, like mm-hmm. to all of your art, um, and so it comes definitely at a, a, a pretty great cost. And I think that's what I love about community-based publishing is like we do it. It's very it's very involved, mm-hmm. but we also like we retain um, you know the rights to our work. Um, mm-hmm. But so yeah, so like what was it? Um, for, for for this context for Nourish, like what is what is the role of the publisher and, and how did we do that? Yeah, so it was interesting because um, we since this was part originally part of a school project, they're working with a like publishing house was just kind of off the table to start with because there's a long lead time for that. You have to find a publisher and have the book finished before they want to print it and we were working on the book right up until it was printed itself. Um, and so then we were looking at independent publishers, and there's options with Amazon, I think Amazon Kindle. But those, like doing research online, a lot of people recommended those. The benefits of those are that it's a lot cheaper, and they really have it like down to science. But we talked as a team and knew that it was very important for us that as this is a book about community that we were not going to work with these like big multinational corporations to print mm-hmm. our book and instead look for someone more local. And so we looked to Gorham Printing in uh, Centralia, Washington, which is about two hours, two and a half hours south of Seattle. And they've, it's a family business. They've been printing uh, small run books for a long time. And it, it was really great to work with them. They were really fun. They are really easy to work with. The challenge is that since you don't have... Um, the Amazon team helping you or publishing house helping you telling you what size of book will work best what thickness of page paper if you want soft cover hard cover all that kind of stuff there was no one there to advise us on that and instead we kind of had to do our own research and thankfully Rachel Connolly our designer um, had experience publishing before and so she was able to provide us with a lot of really great guidance on what we wanted. I think if we didn't have Rachel, there's a ton of information on it online, but that's that would be someone Rachel's able to hold our hand and walk us through the entire thing. But it's like all it was really interesting to go through that process and learn that there are so many details you never considered like how thick do you want the margins to be? <laughs> I would have never thought about how thick my ideal margins are, you know. <laughs> And so, yeah, it was really fun. It definitely was a challenge. This was not something I worked on. Um, that was more Sandra, but um, that was interesting. And then also with Gorham, what was nice is that uh, we didn't have to get any books shipped. Nico was able to drive down to Centralia and pick them up once they were ready. So then from that process, so we, we gathered everything. I dumped it on Sandra. <laughs> Sandra and Rachel really did the hard work of putting the book together, turning it into a book, or at least the digital version of a book. And then we sent it off to Gorham, and they took two weeks to get those 350 books printed. And then I went to Centralia and picked them up. Mm-hmm. And then after I did that, I drove to Josh's house. And dumped <laughs> and these books on me. Yeah. Well, actually, you drove to my house. 
Um, I drove to your house right. and picked them up. Okay. And then I dumped them on me. That's right. Yeah, on you and your seven roommates. I like backed up this car into your mm-hmm. driveway in the dead of night. Yeah, it was like, it was like 9 p.m. Scared. Yeah, and so then we got back. This again was during the winter of 2021 when COVID was the worst it was in the United States at the yeah. time. And so having Sandra from one house, Nika from another house, and Alyssa from another house all in my house where I live with seven other people was just not a great idea. So I luckily had roommates to help with packaging up all these boxes and these orders. And my advice to anyone packaging up orders <laughs> is that it will take longer than you think it will. Um, do as much pre- uh, preparation for it in advance as you can, and then just be very patient with yourself and get some friends to help because it just goes it just goes on and on and on when you have 350 books to package up and you have to keep track of all of the different addresses and make sure they get them on the right mm-hmm. books and all that. But it was really satisfying at the same time to like watch these books come out of boxes and you uh, break down the boxes and then move them into new bags that you're going to take to the post office or drop off at the store. Another thing that was very helpful was that we decided to invest in getting a shipping label printer, which was huge because if we just used a normal printer, we would have to print on the paper, cut it out ourselves with um, Mm. scissors, Mm -hmm. and then use tape to tape it onto the boxes. But we got a Rolo printer online. It was about $200. And then the labels were really cheap. They were probably like 10 cents a label or something like that. And really easy, hooks up to your computer, and you just print it. And it doesn't print with ink. It prints with a laser, and the laser turns the... Mm. Uh, paper black and so there's no smearing or anything you don't have to worry about water damage either because there's no ink on it that can make the ink or can make the color run Um, and then you just peel off the sticker and slap it on the package and take it to go another thing that was really helpful was that instead of going to the post office and having them print all the labels um, there's a website called ship pirate pirate ship pirate ship pirate (laughs) ship Um, that is so helpful that was sandra's recommendation where you can just import a Excel spreadsheet of addresses and it just figures out all the prepays for the labels. Uh, it's not expensive either. It's just, it's almost exactly the USPS rate. Um, yeah. But you didn't take all the books to the UPS, did you? At least not in the beginning. No. No, we were driving those bad <laughs> Right. So in order to save some money, we decided we were going to deliver in the zip codes, hand deliver books in the zip codes that were around myself in Seattle and Nika and Ken. And that was good. It definitely did save us money and helped us win our class competition, but um, was not sustainable for long term to deliver all these books. That also takes a lot longer than you think it will. Um, with wrong turns and finding parking and finding parking yeah okay talk about like the what we invested (laughs) into this project we were willing to deliver all around seattle where parking is non-existent and so like i had my cautions out there like ready to get hit by a bus like (laughs) half of the two like half of the weekends that i was i was delivering right so uh, there were points where i brought i brought people with me to like go run and drop off the book while I stayed mm-hmm. in the car yeah. and like, made sure we didn't get hit. It was a very amazing race in this way. Yes. <laughs> of like yes. running around Seattle. Well, so I think 
actually walked through a lot of that process from ideation to making like creating it to dropping it off on on people's doorstep my question then for both of you is what are your takeaways i think what are your takeaways from the process but also what are your takeaways in just the creation of a community-based media project my takeaways are that it is a long process and it's very challenging, but I think the challenges give way to rewards that are greater than I think if we were to mm-hmm. uh, take any shortcuts throughout the process. It's really, it's really, really cool what we were able to create, and I think we're all very, very proud of what we were able to accomplish. And I think I would also say that throughout the process, you'll hit a lot of roadblocks, and you'll be like, "This is it. This is the end. I can't <laughs> do this anymore. Like mm-hmm. this is the last." This is this was the this was the final straw. But um, when it's it, when it's hard, it's really hard. But when it's good, it is so good. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, once you finally figure out how to um, address the roadblock you're facing and you get past it, it's so exciting to see the success you're able to achieve. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely a lot of work. I remember <laughs> we. <laughs> We didn't really have much of a winter break because, you know, we were so focused on doing this project. But, you know, the the reward was worth it. Not only was it so satisfying once we finally got the book in our hands and was able to hold it and flip through it after months and months of work, but after sharing it with people and hearing their feedback and seeing them, like, read these stories and try these recipes, I think that was the most rewarding part of all. So, yeah, takeaways that it's hard work, but I wouldn't trade it for anything else. Yeah. When you get to the finish line and like you finally get to share what you've created with people, it really does make all of it worth it. And I think it really, it, I think it just like really proves the value of having community-based media and like having things that are created by us. Something that is a really good reminder throughout the process is that no one can create what you can create. Mm-hmm. No publishing company, no, you know, big news media corporation could create Nourish, no. right? Like it took not only like the blood, sweat and tears, but also the relationships that we had and the relationships that we built. And then knowing the words on the page were not just words on the page, mm-hmm. that they were also stories and histories that we got to share with you know hundreds of people. Mm-hmm. There's just like such, I think there is really such a dire need for that, especially I think in the age that we're in where like information is not only so easy to come by but also really fleeting Mm -hmm. to have things that we can claim as ours that we can hold on to and that are really valuable to us I think is is a really rare thing that I'm really proud to have you know been a part of creating that and continuing to create that Mm -hmm. I think that's a really powerful message like imposter syndrome is definitely real and when we started it was like who are we to be making this book and you know sharing these stories and contacting contacting publishers and things like that but I think if you're ma- if you're thinking about making a book, then you know you should go for it because if we can do it, so can you. Mm. That's right. That's right. Since we asked people to share their recipes with us for Nourish, what recipes would you, Josh and Nika, like to share with us? I actually did already share a recipe, but now I like actually oh, want to share God. a different one <laughs> because a uh, little known fact: the recipe that I shared in Nourish is actually not a family recipe, and so in this opportunity, I'll take. Uh, to, to share a family recipe. I think my favorite dish, honestly, like my household's favorite dish is sinigang, which is like a sour and savory soup, Filipino soup. It has like, it's like a brothy soup with pork and other um, like 
green beans, onions, tomatoes, kind of other vegetables and stuff. I share that just like, because uh, to me it feels like home. And I think that's what sharing food is about, is like being able to share parts of yourself to other people. And yeah, I think getting to share that with people has always been really special to me. And that's why I'm sharing it with you. I would say for a, a meal that's important to myself and my family, I think of in the summers when my grandparents would visit from Colorado that my mom would go and get cut and cleaned Dungeness crab for us all to mm. share. And we put out all these all this crab on a big platter and my mom makes a really great salad, a recipe from our family friends, and then as well as some like really good fresh bread that's really crusty, um, it has flour dusted on the outside, like this rustic bread mm-hmm. with butter. And it is just, it's so good, it's so summery. I really only ever eat this with my family and it's such a messy, involved meal that I think it, it makes, ev- it forces everyone to be very present in the moment of mm. cracking the crab and you're doing things, you're doing things with your hands, you can't be distracted, touch it, watching the t- a TV or being on your phone or anything like that because it's just so involved and present. Mm-hmm. That, that's a re- I w- don't know if I could cook this, but that was a recipe <laughs> I would share. What about you, Sandra? The recipe that I would share is um, a dumpling recipe. Um, It's traditional for my family to make dumplings for basically every holiday, you know, Christmas, Thanksgiving, whatever it is. There would always be someone like rolling out dough, kneading dough in the kitchen, someone slicing bits to make dumpling wrappers and someone, you know, mixing around the meat and the vegetables and everyone else is just sitting around the table folding dumplings for Mm. what feels like hours (laughs) before we finally get to eat. Yeah, it's definitely a family tradition. It's just flour and water for the dumpling wrapper. And honestly, anything that you like in the dumpling filling, usually there's minced pork, scallions, sometimes egg, seasoning like soy sauce and sesame oil, and then like Napa cabbage or whatever vegetables you like. But it's really customizable to, you know, whatever your tastes are. And I hope you get the chance to try it sometime. Thank you all for listening to our very first episode. We're so thankful for all of you who listened. If you're interested in learning more about us, we are active on Instagram at nourishbookc, as in Seattle, N-O-U-R-I-S-H-B-O-O-K-S-E-A. And you can also find us uh, on our website at thenourishbook.com. We will be doing more episodes just like this with some future guests we're very excited about. But that is all for today. Thank you for listening. Josh out. <laughs> <laughs>